Hey folks, welcome to Florida Uncut, the podcast all about the people behind the protection and connection of Wild Florida. And connection is important because uh, that's where ideas like the Florida Wildlife Corridor comes in. Not just protecting land, but making sure it's all connected so that those large animals can move freely through it, uh, as well as plant diversity and migration and all that is still possible in these connected lands. And the biggest idea to connect Wild Florida is the Florida Wildlife corridor and there was recently a documentary made about the Florida Wildlife Corridor and specifically the Panthers movement within it in a story all about the Florida Panther called Path of the Panther it came out uh, earlier this year through National Geographic and today we're talking to the director Eric Bendick about how he got involved why this film was so important why it was so uh, well received it's an amazing story every emotion you're going to experience watching this film I highly recommend it I, I, I actually had somebody last month tell me that film changed their life like it literally was life-altering they said I know that sounds dramatic but that film changed my life a fellow Floridian who never knew this stuff was happening just outside his backyard in wild Florida so I'm very excited to talk to Eric who, like I said, directed this film with the company Grizzly Creek Films. And you can find it now on Disney Plus and Hulu. And there's also a book for sale in association with the film. All that's in the show notes. And thank you so much to everybody who has shared the show so far. We've had a ton of good feedback and we want to keep pushing these stories out there. Keep sharing and leaving reviews. It's helping tremendously. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Eric, how's it going? Thanks, Mason. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's going great. It's going great. Happy to be here. I always ask this question first. Where are you coming from? Is that home for you? And if not, where's home? So uh, my home is in Bozeman, Montana. So quite quite a ways from the Panthers habitat down in South Florida. Um, but I actually grew up in Florida and um, have pretty deep roots there and have a lot of family down there. So it's definitely home is in the Rockies and probably will be um, for quite a while. But I just I have a love for the southeast. I just have it gets under your blood and it really gets into your your system. And I just have a lot of great experiences there and friends there and connections that keep pulling me back. Well, you know, I, I was going to ask where where in Florida did you grow up and, and also what kind of home did you grow up in? You know, is it, was it an outdoorsy group or, or was it you kind of discover that on your own later? Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, I went to high school in Winter Park, Florida. And actually I was born in New England, but went to high school in Winter Park, Florida. And my family is still in Winter Park, Florida. So that's still Florida. Um, close to that, uh, that crazy universe that is um, Orlando. But, uh, you know, as I learned growing up there and, and once you get into the outdoors, there is a whole different side of Florida that is incredibly wild. It's as wild as you want to get, really. Um, and and it's actually quite accessible, too. It's it's very close to uh, some of these kind of urban edge places. So, yeah, you can get in in pretty deep pretty quickly. And also my family is very outdoor oriented. I grew up kayaking, backpacking, um, had really great fortune to come from a, a family and uh, really an outdoor heritage that has been uh, a few generations. And, and actually my, my introduction to a lot of Florida's wild was through my grandfather, who is a big blast fisherman down in the Keys. And so uh, some of the first Florida wilderness I ever encountered was with him um, looking for bonefish. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point, and, and I didn't really think about this, but yeah, the proximity to the wild here versus the cities, it's, it's much closer than out west where, you know, it easily drives eight to ten hours if you want to to get to some of these spots that you want to backpack or raft or whatever, film. Um, here it is, you know, it feels like it's that far away, but it really, it's like two or three at the most. And even before that, you're passing plenty of places. So they are smaller, but they are 
pretty close proximity to where where you are. That's really interesting. So you grew up in a family that was outdoorsy and and you got to see that side of it. Did, did it surprise you at all when, you know, for folks around you that might have not known that it was so close? I mean, Winter Park, that's like, like you said, right there in Orlando. That seems like one of the places for me, there is this big veil between development and non-developed areas. Yeah, it, it surprises a lot of people. Um, and I think unless you have kind of a guide or a friend or sort of a wild hare to get out there, um, it can be a little bit intimidating. And and most Floridians, I would say, are sort of oblivious, but it's not uh, it's not their fault. It's basically that they just haven't had kind of a a partner or someone to introduce that wild um, part of Florida to them. And so that was a big ambition for the film and, and really to put Florida on the map um, nationwide and globally as an ecosystem that deserves an incredible amount of respect and love and conservation. So that's one of the larger goals that we set out to do is just really to understand and show people that may think of Florida only as, you know, beaches and Miami and Mickey Mouse, like there's this whole other world out there. And the Panther was absolutely the hook that brought us there. You know, I tell people a lot because we lived out West for about a decade. And uh, I tell people, you know, I'm a lot more intimidated going into the Florida backcountry what is called, you know, no one uses that term backcountry, but the Florida wild than I was into like the rock. I felt like the Rockies. Sure. there's this infrastructure, there's great trail markers, there's um, search and rescue that's very well trained and very experienced and very accessible. And I'm like, here, you're kind of on your own. There's way more things that can bite you and just muckiness and it's less comfortable and there's just less, there's just less support and I'm a little more intimidated sometimes. And it's funny, people don't expect that, uh, but it's true. So, you know, what, what, what led you to out West and what kind of, what was the hook or what got you? Cause I know this isn't your first story you've told about back home. What got you to start telling stories about where you came from while being out West? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a interesting story. I came out West. I actually came to graduate school here in Bozeman um, for a program that was specializing in science and nature filmmaking. And at the time, it was pretty much the only um, program of its kind in the world. Um, so if from this from this grad school, actually, our company formed a huge network of people who work in film and in the outdoors and filming wildlife. And so this was kind of where, where it all started. I mean, the, the whole community that I tend to work with, a lot of the cinematographers, a lot of the producers, and just so much of this talent came out of this little town, Bozeman, in the heart of Montana. So that's where it all, all began. But kind of nagging me this whole time as we were working in Yellowstone, um, and Alaska and so many places in the West and so many parks around North America was this hunger to get back home, back to Florida, but also to stories that just weren't getting the same kind of exposure and, and really to just not tell the same stories over and over. You know, we tend to kind of gravitate towards stories that are familiar. There's so much potential in these stories that kind of grab you from the side and then just pull you in. And, you know, obviously the, the Panther project had that potential from the start, but even before then uh, we did a trek and I work frequently collaborating with Carlton Ward, the photographer in Florida. And we did a trek across the state of Florida that was 80 degree, 80 days of kayaking, hiking, and backpacking through the state. And that really set the foundation for the work that was to come because that introduced this idea of a, of a corridor through the state that could be what could be preserved, could be conserved as a wild place uh, forever. And 
that foundation was really what kind of drove this next idea, uh, which was to explore the Florida Panther. It's all been building up. I, I, I don't know which one you were just talking about, The Forgotten Coast or The Last Green Thread. Both awesome films. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Forgotten Coast, you know, was kind of the kickoff, um, and that was spectacular. And then in The Last Green Thread, we got to just focus on one tiny section of the state that was basically going to blink out this kind of idea that here was this last place, and if it disappeared... Um, you know, you would lose it forever. In the last green thread, let me just mention this. You got to talk to uh, some family friends of mine. Got to see a lot of familiar faces in that film. That was exciting. That's awesome. Well, Sticky is a legend. Marianne Collier, for sure. Like, that was just, those people, they're just uh, one of a kind. And that kind of old Florida, that's exactly the perspective that, um when you meet people like that and you understand where they're coming from, they, you just see this landscape in a whole different light. And we really tried to weave those points of view uh, that are very close to the land into the new project as well. Um, that was a major theme for us just to bring the land to life through these characters. Yeah, Lucianne, we, we saw her on horseback and she has like one of the most classic moments in the film, you know, just just her point of view about the way Florida has changed and old Florida versus new Florida. And, and, and basically the idea that, you know, this place used to be the frontier and most people in the U S I would say, do not know that that ranching cowboy culture, you know, frontier idea and culture is still so strong and still very much a fiber and a, a part of the state of Florida. It's a beautiful thing, but wh why do you think, you know, you coming from Montana now, I know this is your home, but you've got, you know, acres and acres of wild land, the culture's there. Why do you think these kinds of stories in this small little corner of the country is important for the rest of the country and world to know? Why, why, does, why do people need to know about the Florida ranching and, and the conservation projects going on here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so vital that people see what um, what's happening in, in Florida, because I tend to think of it as, uh, for better or worse, a lot of times kind of we're looking at the future. We're looking at um, really the issues where we've run out of um, room. So there's so much development pressure in Florida that you tend to be on the front lines of, you know, these questions about land and the environment and, and the ecosystem there is so rich and has so much biodiversity and so much of that biodiversity lives on r lands like ranch lands or working lands, places that are private or managed a little bit differently than, you know, kind of large federal lands out West. So, but then again, there's this similarities. I mean, I'm here in Montana where again, we have a ranching culture that is incredibly intertwined with the ecosystem and managing that resource for wildlife. And those values, I think are, are things that even if we're looking towards 10, 20 years down the road, the rest of the country, you know, if we can't figure it out in Florida and figure out a way to preserve a, a piece of this state and all the biodiversity it has, then I don't think that bodes well for the rest of the country. Um, so I think the lessons that we can learn in Florida are just huge for the whole country. And mainly this idea of the wildlife corridor, basically something that only existed in the uh, kind of academic world that was thinking about um, biodiversity and, and ideas for protecting it 10, 20 years ago is now being made into a geography, um, a physical geography in the state of Florida with really the first statewide idea to connect the corridor through the entire state. And so if that idea can move 
to kind of a national perspective and people can wrap their heads around it, then there's no reason there can't be a Montana wildlife corridor, a California wildlife corridor, a Georgia wildlife corridor, and all of these could sync up. Um, and it would be very, very special. And each state would approach it locally and have their own take on it, but it would be um, monumental movement for the country. I just saw the phrase Montana Wildlife Corridor yesterday in wow. an email from, you might know him, Ed Robertson, host of podcasts, Mountain and Prairie. In fact, you'd be an amazing guest. Um, and he shares a, a newsletter every week, Good News of the American West. And that phrase was used, and I thought, there it is. There is the idea, or at least the terminology and branding spreading, and all these corridors obviously don't stop at state lines, ideally. They are interconnected. So the Florida corridor, the Florida wildlife corridor could connect with the Georgia wildlife corridor and like the the ultimate plan of the panther making its way back into the Appalachian Mountains. Tell us a little bit about kind of the involvement of this idea because I'm, I'm going to explain in detail the corridor in the intro. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like yep. you need to now. You can, I mean, unless you want to give your perspective on it, but how has the idea evolved? Because it wasn't, boom, this exact this is, needs to be made. It was kind of like an understanding of Carlton Ward specifically putting together all these pizzas. Like, okay, someone already kind of made this idea. I forget the name of it. It was like the environmental. It was not the sexiest name, right? Before, yeah. And uh, <laughs> but it was, but it was that was the foundation, the academic foundation. How have you seen? from your perspective, this idea evolve and change and grow and kind of just manifest into an actual thing over the years, making these films about it? Well, I, I, I always tell people that when we started uh, working uh, in Florida to communicate the idea of the Florida Wildlife Corridor, there was a very small, uh, very niche audience that was listening, uh, leaning forward, you know, getting engaged. And um, it took years, um, both film, photography, um, outreach, these expeditions. Um, It took so long to gain momentum to the point where that audience started to grow and kind of the, the brand around the corridor became this thing that had like this life of its own. And we just started to see like this wave of enthusiasm growing and growing. And finally it was like, when we discovered the Panther it and the Panther story, it was like this uh, switch flipped on. I mean, all of a sudden everyone got the story and the story kind of had this almost universal quality to it where people could see that a panther's home range is 200 square miles and it can't live and sustain itself without one piece of land connected to the next piece of land. And then a passage across a highway or a barrier um, over a canal. And so once that seed of that idea was kind of embodied in the panther, um, then you saw even the, the Florida legislature getting involved. You know, they could see the photos. They could see how special this was and what a unique opportunity it was to leave a new legacy for the state and for, you know, the next generations. And so that's kind of um, been the story is that it took, it was a big, big lift uh, initially to get the idea off the ground. And now that the story has kind of an icon in the panther a lot of the understanding is like leapfrogging ahead of us so we're we're now seeing this kind of wave of other states asking oh how can we do this um how can we return a big animal like a puma to our landscape you know and and the advantage of that animal is that it used to be in vermont used to be in the carolinas used to be all over North America and it had all these regional, you know, nicknames like the Panther is that regional nickname, but it was, it was like this universal animal. And, and I think 
we're getting to a point where we recognize we want we want this wildness back or we're ready for it wow so you needed a you needed a star of the show to get the corridor idea yeah to to the like the level of urgency needed to be turned up in the panther's story is like that that avenue everyone needs a charismatic megafauna to make the star of the show that's awesome they do um they do yeah. so this idea though that y'all put together or that like when the light bulb switch went off or the light switch went off that was a while ago tell us about i keep hearing the term or the phrase uh or, or, or the timeline six years six years in the making Tell us about yeah. the formulation of this idea. What were those conversations like and the process of making it happen? Because uh, I don't think people realize these kind of timelines that go into these these projects like Path of the Panther. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely been an incredible journey for a project that uh, we had no kind of understanding of the scope of how how large it would grow. You know, at the outset, uh, I remember the conversation when Carson said, hey, I, uh, I decided to move to the swamp. I'm going to live out of my airstream. I'm going to dedicate myself and, you know, the next couple of years to this photo project. And we're going for the Panther, which is the most, probably the most elusive mammal in North America. And not only that, there's, you know, biologists and researchers who study them, who, unless the cat is um, collared or, you know, treed, they, they don't see them. They don't see them in the wild. And I've heard that from lots of researchers who actually never seen a, this panther in the wild. So my initial read on it was, okay, we're going to have really these fleeting glimpses of this incredibly rare animal. And then let's make a short film. Let's make kind of a, you know, something that will reflect the quest, the story, uh, the idea of something impossible that we're all chasing after. And that's kind of one of those things that I think people go into the wild for, have those experience. That's why they're pulled in is because they want that unique experience um, with nature and wild things. And so that was the initial thought and then the crazy part is that we actually started filming and photographing panthers um, regularly and we started getting this incredible footage and we had footage that i don't think anyone had ever seen before or um, even visualized before with these uh, incredible panthers in deep water you know basically moving through the swamp uh, during flood stage and we had bears and we had turkeys and we had sandhill cranes and all the other diversity mixed in. And this just kind of said the scope of the project just grew from there. We had this one female uh, who we nicknamed Babs in the film. And she, right as we started the film, was the first Panther in 50 years to move from the Southern Everglades to the Northern Everglades. And so then we had kind of the star of the film in this female panther and, and her um, quest to establish a new territory. So she was this pioneer. And so then all the pieces started to just come together. But at the same time, for all of those victories, you know, we had cameras flooded by hurricanes. We had just innumerable technical problems with all these systems. And everything about the process was painstakingly slow. So even though we were, we were kind of set, okay, we're going to do this big feature film, uh, make it, you know, the moment, the first feature film ever made on the Florida Panther, there were so many setbacks along the way that it just started to take longer and longer and longer to finish. As an experienced filmmaker who, who's done a lot in the wilderness, of course, what was so challenging about this versus in, in slowing the process down versus some of the other, you know, very wild. I mean, you've been in the most remote parts of Yellowstone. Why was this project so, so slow in comparison? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's so the, a lot of it has to do with 
um, the animal, the, the panther, you know, they're really mostly active at night. And a lot of times you could maybe feel their presence around you, but to actually see one for more than a split second is incredibly rare. Um, and we did have one encounter that's documented in the film and it was our only encounter with um, a panther in the flesh uh, where we were able to film. And, and otherwise we were reliant on this technology of the camera trap um, really to deliver the goods. And, we didn't want this to be um, trail camera kind of off the shelf type footage. We wanted the most high end systems that you could possibly deliver um, out there in the swamp with really sophisticated triggering and lighting and like these studio systems. And inevitably those things would fail. It's like the worst environment for that equipment <laughs> possible. Oh, it is. It is brutal. It is brutal. I mean, we had this hurricane roll over the whole setup. Hurricane Irma came through yep. and just blew up everything and flooded everything and trees crashing on cameras. And and so it was, yeah. It Cows was, stepping on cameras. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, know, of, you, you, you had so much go wrong. We had bears. We had bears uh, just tearing apart cameras. You know, they love cameras and we learned to disguise our scent like completely so that they wouldn't rip them to shreds. But yeah. Unreal. It was fun. Well, I, I tell you what, it, it's one of the moments that really I was emotional because this is, you're so proud to show this to people like this is where I live. Like it's not just the land of Disney and, and, um, and beaches, like you said, in Miami. And it, it, there's so much to it. I remember that's in it, but it's just all overlaid. Christmas morning or Christmas, I got my mom a trail cam. She lives in Frostproof. Just, you know, a, a very you know, off the shelf trail cam. And she puts it up Christmas day. That night, she gets an image in her yard right next to her house, the biggest black bear I've ever seen. And I said, Mom, wow. this is happening all around you all the time. We just don't know it. We don't see it. And so many Floridians don't know that. But one moment that was so beautiful was that same, that shot where you had like 15 animals walking through at different times, like cranes and gators and bears and otters and panthers. And it just, it every shot, every cut, it just sank in just how vast the wildlife and the ecosystems and um, the 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 nature that is right here and in one spot, and that I thought that was one of the most powerful moments of the whole film. And I wanted to ask, did you feel like you learned more about Florida through this process, or maybe your eyes were even more open to just how just how important this story is? Absolutely. I think that there were um, moments that I kind of um, remember processing in, in from camera traps and fe and feeling this kind of wave of emotion about not just how diverse um, these animal animals are in this wildlife uh, is in, in, in this ecosystem, but how the cameras, you know, being um, this unique perspective without us present have this way to kind of capture their day-to-day -day lives of, um, you know, whether it's a sandhill crane colt walking down the trail with its adult, you know, the, the mating pair up ahead. And you're kind of like, wow, this is how the natural world really functions when we're not interrupting it with our with ourselves um not to say that we do that all the time but we our presence there makes animals react and behave differently and then when you see uh their kind of everyday existence and and how unique that is it almost gives you that lens of like being able to relate to each of these animals more and their kind of their struggles and their sort of world that they inhabit um, without us around. So that's like one of the most powerful things I think about the camera trap footage is that you get this feeling, um, that you're really watching behavior that maybe 
no one's ever seen before. Um, and, and it's, yeah, it's jaw dropping and it reveals all kinds of secrets. Um, you know, we had interactions between, um, gators and panthers and start to wonder like who's on top, you know, which one of these kind of fierce animals will, you know, rules the jungle, so to speak. But, um, but we had some in day and we had some in night and it, it was fascinating because at night, um, you know, you had a, a, a panther approaching water and it was very cautious and very methodical. And if, a, if something splashed, you know, it would turn and just dart out of there super quickly. And then during the day, it was crazy. It was like the tables were turned. Um, you'd have a gator sitting on the bank and a panther walk up and they would be the gator that would take off. So it was just, yeah, that kind of stuff was wow. like blowing my mind. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really wild. So through the process, this six years, you know, you're out in Montana. What, what are, what is like your community think? Like there's Eric going off again to Florida for whatever reason. Like, are, is it just like a hard concept to sell? Do you feel like the weirdo, you know? It's so funny because yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because I think people think I am like half crazy um, because I'm out there and especially because the project is taking so long. Um, so there's like years and years going by and I'm off to the Everglades for another kind of deep immersion into the swamp. And most people are like, I will never do that. I, I wouldn't go there. Why, why are you doing this? You know, they have no idea why, why continue to go and, and suffer, you know, for the story. But what's beautiful is that now the community is getting a chance to see the film. Um, and it's incredible, not just their response to it, but how many of the threads of the story really relate to, to them and to us here in Montana and so much of the story is kind of universal. So I'm hoping I can preserve some of my um, half crazy reputation because I don't want people to think I was, you know, playing it straight all that time. Right, right <laughs> absolutely. Now we're all a little yeah. crazy that grew up here. You know, uh, you yeah. one way it does apply, like we were saying before, the panther, that's the name here, but it is the mountain lion out west. It is the puma in other parts of the world in the country. Um, it is the, what's the other one? Mountain lion, panther, puma. There's catamount. There's catamount. There's there's cougar. Oh, cougar. There's, cougar, that's the other one. Yeah. And then there's some weird names too, like mountain screamer. And that's like a West Virginia thing, you know? So there's like a lot of these local names. For the same Super animal. Cool. But uh, it all is Same trying animal. to survive, you know. It's yeah. uh, man, so cool. This is so cool. So, so you know, the, the film came out six years in the making. So much hype, so much build up. I mean, how often were you coming back and forth? I mean, you've got a family, you've got other projects going on. This had to just be, you know, we we see a lot of Carlton Ward in the film, and he's out there a lot too. But you know, he he is here. You're coming from two thousand miles away. How 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 much were you doing this? Um, it, quite a lot. Uh, it was interesting when we um, kind of understood what we were making was more longer term. And we thought about the big elements of the story, a huge amount of the, the story and the structure of the story was filmed within the first couple of years. And then we would come back and dive into the edit and really kind of wrap our heads around what that story was, um, what was missing from it, and what were those like critical pieces that we needed to make the story whole and understandable and just as compelling as possible. So the later we got, the more strategic we got with those, with those shooting opportunities. So when we returned, we were just real targeted and kind of knew exactly what we we're going for. There's exceptions. I mean, there were there were events and moments that totally took us by surprise. And then we had we, we had to go like at the drop of the hat, like this disease that popped up 
in the Florida Panther population kind of out of nowhere and was visible on all the trail cameras, um, a neurological disease that was affecting how panthers walk. And so obviously we had to just kind of drop everything and go. And so there were those moments too, but as we got deeper into the story, everything was real targeted. How can we do this and just nail exactly what we need? Correct me if I'm wrong, that neurological disease was from inbreeding. It, it is still not determined um, what the leading cause is, but most uh, of, the ev- of the evidence is pointing to an environmental exposure of some sort of toxin. So it would be, um, you know, there's been theories out there, but for example, like a toxic algae bloom, and then it affects the animals. But the tricky part is when they go to autopsy an animal that's afflicted, whatever these, uh, that toxin was, has, seems to have left this, their system. So they still don't have a silver bullet, but they believe that it's some sort of environmental toxin that's out there. Inconclusive, but we, we know inbreeding's not good. We know that at least. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't cause yeah. this, but from uh, another issue they're running into, or they did run into sure. in the past, because their oh, yeah. environment's so small and their community's so small, they there's no other options. Well, panthers, um, the number of panthers um, in the 80s and even into the early 90s was estimated to be as low as 20 individuals. So it was way past the point of like healthy genetic diversity. And so they did bring a few female um, cougars from Texas to bring health to that population. And, you know, some people are kind of, um, well, those weren't panthers, you know, cause they came from Texas. But if you look at the big picture of pumas, they are all across the U S and they would have naturally, um, had individuals that roam big long distances. So, and there have been examples of that. Yeah, there are. And it, like, there was one that roamed, naturally from South Dakota to Connecticut. I mean, it's incredible migration that this animal made. And so to restore health to the population, genetic health, by bringing these other animals in, I was what nature would have done anyway, uh, a long time ago. So uh, super cool that they were able to revitalize the genetic health of the animals that way. What is an unexpected place or opportunity this film has, has brought you. And maybe that's prior to during filming, you know, maybe that's during filming or maybe that's with the response. I, I feel particularly surprised from my point of view of how politically moving the film is. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I just didn't mm-hmm. expect that, you know, like a film moves that needle and gets legislation moving. Y'all obviously knew this making films, but like, What's been a really unexpected response or or opportunity? Well, we always knew going into it that if we told a compelling story, um, the most compelling story and for the widest audience that we could reach, that there, that the impact would follow. Um, We didn't want to make something that was, you know, politics first. It's not politics first. It's a great story. It's a great, it's great characters, both human and animal characters, and it's really their stories. And then the natural part of wanting to do something with the story, wanting, wanting to take it and wanting to make it your own and create impact in Florida and in the Southeast or, or wherever around the world, it just flows out of that story. So it just kind of comes full circle that the first questions we're always asked after the film is what can we do? Um, How can we affect change with this? And the legislation that happened in Florida really sets the tone in the sense that if we do embrace kind of the core ideas behind the film and really follow what the Panther has taught us, then there's no reason that, you know, policy, just as progressive or even more progressive than what's been done here in the state of Florida could be 
all over the country. I mean, you can have Colorado, Utah, the Rockies, you could connect them all in, in corridors and you could have, um, you know, really systems that span the whole country. And I think people need to act locally and they need to kind of come up with a geography and a map of their own, wherever they live in their backyards. But I think the ideas are just uh, for that moment to happen. And so that's, what's super exciting. What was a moment from the filming process or, or anything around the project at all, you know, anything involved with it, that, uh, that really stands out in your mind as something really memorable or funny or, or just, uh, a moment that didn't make the cut because we want people to go watch this, but you'll never forget it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few, um, there's a few incredible moments that, that stand out and one that did not make the cut. And we, uh, we probably are going to do a kind of web extra about was actually a, a truly close encounter that Carlton Ward had with an alligator while filming out there. And so um, this was a case where that we had fantastic transitions in the environment that go from the, the dry swamp to the wet swamp. And, you know, these changes can happen uh, with some of these um, storms that come in quite quickly. And then you can have the swamp water rising like four or five feet in some of these places. So we, um, we spent time repeating uh, basically the same camera shot at these locations to show the transition. And um, on one of those visits, uh, Carlton ended up stepping onto a really large alligator. And so uh, stay tuned. We actually are going to um, talk about that more and release some, some footage that kind of did not make the, the cut uh, for a variety of, of reasons. Um, but it was, uh, it was a little bit of a wake up call for all of us because we had been around so many alligators and been uh, wading into a lot of deep pools where, you know, we had these gators and we would name like Big Al, you know, he was like our buddy and we would like hang out with him and, and we were like, okay, well, we, uh, our luck has changed a little bit. So we need to change our approach a little bit. Um, so yeah, that was one example that didn't quite make the cut, but, um, we're going to feature it uh, coming up anyway. That's awesome. I'm excited to see it out. And I was, uh, you know, I want to ask you now that this film is out, the focus is distribution and getting more and more people to watch it. What has been maybe some of the biggest questions or biggest either surprises, misunderstandings, or just themes that have come out of the response of the film? So I think the, the biggest, <clears throat> one of the most important questions to answer now is, um, so if we have, you know, if we have a blueprint for this idea of corridors and the Panther is kind of the, the key and we're working with not always the usual suspects that would be allies with a Panther. So um, Elton Langford, who's one of the main characters in the film, he's a rancher. And so he, he's, you know, his number one interest is the health of his cattle. Mm. His um, right on the same level is his interest in the health of his land, because the link between his cattle being healthy and his land being healthy is really huge. So he's realized that the panther is an ally. The panther is basically an animal that can show others and uh, teach others about how much diversity and um, healthy land can be kept in ranching and not changed into subdivisions because that's the bigger threat. So that is an idea and a question that a lot of people come to. How, how is it possible that, you know, a rancher and a carnivore could be allies? And I think that's a really big question for us to look, um, to look at more broadly is can we see ranching and working lands and all these other, and farms to some extent and forests, uh, working forests, as places where wildlife can thrive and 
they weren't a hundred years ago. They weren't really allied in that way. Heck, 20 years ago, it feels like. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's kind of like, uh, you know, one of those big questions that I think we all need to explore and think about. When people watch this film, you've been asked a lot of questions. You've seen a lot of, most people aren't large landowners, you know? Uh, I got an acre or two in the corridor, but but it's not it like it, it, it's not an it doesn't move the needle. Most people are not in this boat. What have you seen as um, maybe some of the major concerns, or do you feel like people walk away from this film understanding what you were trying to get across to them? Yeah, no, I think that you could look at it on so many different scales. You know, you could look at a neighborhood. And maybe you have a zone where you have deer that are migrating through the neighborhood and you've got greenways or you've got a park and then you've got a road and then you've got basically another small patch of green on the other side. And just thinking on that, even on that tiny scale of just like one couple blocks or neighborhood, even in urban areas, you can think about birds in their corridors. So there's no scale too small to get engaged and involved and the same ideas apply and then as you kind of move up the scale thinking about a whole state or a whole geography or a mountain range or you know a continent or whatever then it's kind of on us to really push other people to understand that okay that that's something that we're going to have to get our representatives really to you know, kick some butt on this, like make some movement towards, towards making this happen. Cause obviously no single individual is going to pull that off. It's going to basically be just a huge push, like kind of a groundswell to get people working uh, on the, on those big levels. The ultimate goal is to expand this idea of corridors and show a success story here in Florida. And, and to me, you, you used a word the first time I've heard anyone else really or any other group using this word. When I moved here from Colorado, my wife and I with our, our son, uh, the first thing or just thing we started noticing was it felt like the front lines. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I just feel like I entered the front lines of conservation um, here in the States, obviously, you know, one of the front lines, there's many, um, but this just felt like this very urgent battle between a sizable and passionate group of people who want to protect this and those that are very willing to come through and, and irreversibly change it. And that was so, I knew it was there because, you know, grew up here, you, you hear stories, but it was always with this sense of, Yep, they're building more houses. Yep, they're they're tearing that that forest down. Yep, they're putting up a, a Walmart. And it was never there was never anything that followed that as far as an actionable step or just hope in any way. And coming back, it was like, whoa, there's a lot happening here. And y'all use those terms as well. So I think Florida is a really good just litmus test for if if they can figure it out, if they can do something, surely we can think there are other stories within the corridor because obviously the panther is really it's a beautiful and enticing and and, and a, definitely a hook of a of a lens to look through but it is one lens to look through yeah yeah no i think there's there's so many more stories kind of every um corner you poke around um there are always more and more stories and i think that that florida is on the front lines and we know it and it's one of those places where everyone knows it you know everyone even at the grocery store um no matter if they recreate in the wild or just have no real connection with it they still understand that there is a limited amount of green space left and they in their lifetimes uh, that space is transforming like right before their eyes. And it's really, they drive down the same street or highway and you find yourself not recognizing the place. I mean, 
within a couple of years, you just don't even recognize the same places. And you feel like, wow, like this whole world has been transformed. And that I think is what gives the urgency to the story. Um, and also the opportunity uh, to show that that's kind of not a one, uh, that's not a guarantee that that's our future. Um, we can definitely fight for the places that we love and the um, wild places that we love and the wild animals that we love. And I think the Panther, um, it's really cool. Betty Osceola is a main character in the film and she has an indigenous perspective that, you know, dates back generations. And she is from the Panther clan and the Panther clan, they're really rooted in understanding that the qualities of the Panther are qualities that they can embrace and then apply to their lives. So the idea of having kind of being a protector and a guardian of the ecosystem is something that if you're in the Panther clan, that's something that you take on. And that's a quality that you um, project back on, out into the world. And so kind of one of our hopes is that if people understand the Panther's kind of tenacity and its ability to protect and be a guardian for all this ecosystems in space, that then they can get out and embrace that those same qualities and defend the sacred places, the wild places that they really care about. So that's just one of those amazing things that she brought to light and brought to the film. Having that perspective so long, there is, you know, that area where she is, is obviously very special. There's a ton of connection and a ton of reason that place is important to her. Is there, I've got two last questions for you and then we'll wrap up. Is there a place in Florida that really speaks to you, really draws you in is just a special, a special location? You know, I think the place as I've gotten to know it more and more, um, that I consider, you know, maybe one of the wildest places in all of Florida is the Bacahatchee Swamp. It is one of the few places where even after, you know, kind of years of being immersed in some of these really remote places, you still, uh, you still can feel kind of a, a wild energy to it. And we were out there um, actually filming ghost orchids and those those are just incredibly rare and wild and have this kind of um, obsessive quality where once you see one, you know, you want to see it again and you want to go back to it. You're kind of like, how's it, is it, are they blooming yet? You know, have they been pollinated? Like how's this whole thing still here in the middle of, you know, uh, not really further than an hour from, from Naples and from a, a city center in Florida. And so that's a place that's kind of, you know, just one of those mysterious, awe-inspiring places. And I would put it right up there with, you know, really the, the back country of Yellowstone or blow, parts blow. of Alaska. People really don't understand, you know, it's people are very surprised to hear someone like you who has had so much experience around the world to say, to say something like that. Yeah. It's an energy. It's, it's an energy, you know, it's even in these wild, wild places when, you know, you can visit Yosemite and get off the beaten path and find a kind of nook to yourself where you've got that like moment where you're in that really intense wild energy there. And you can find that in all sorts of places. But then also kind of on um, on the main drags and stuff in a lot of these parks, um, it's gone. It's like you, you don't feel it. So it's just one of those things you've got to get a little further out, uh, whether I love trail running. So like when I get out trail running, um, it's farther than most people are going to go hike. So like you just end up on an incredible peak or out in the backcountry. I've trail run in Florida too. And same thing, you just get in these really wild places 
And um, it's great. It, that That's what kind of re, uh, revitalizes me, all the work filming and producing and a lot of the phone calls that a producer makes and a director has to deal with putting out fires. Then so, as long as I get out into the backcountry doing what I love, I feel good again. You know, I know that one of the best things people can do is check out this film and and advocate. But if there's like one thing you could ask people to really physically, personally do, what is something that they can actually do to help push forward this conservation, um, this Florida Wildlife Corridor and the work that y'all are doing? So I think spreading the word is amazing. Watching the film is amazing. Getting engaged in the community that's working so hard to communicate this idea um, at both pathofapanther.com and, and the Florida Wildlife Corridor Foundation, all the work that's going on there. But I think the biggest thing you can do is to start to take um, real pride and real um, ownership over basically one of Florida's greatest ideas. I mean, this idea that has come out of um, really the hard work and sweat and, and blood of a lot of people to make the uh, corridor a reality. Uh, now we've got um, 10 million acres that are in permanent protection. There are 8 million acres that are totally unprotected left in that corridor. So if you live close to the corridor, or even if you don't live close to the corridor, you should learn about it. You should kind of take an interest in what those missing links are. And we have a long way to go. I'd say we're halfway there. And there's definitely... There's no kind of victory lap or celebration yet because the window to actually preserve this thing and make it real is closing real quick. So we have about 10 years. We have about a decade um, to make that other 8 million acres uh, a real solid protected forever geography. And, and if that happens, I think Floridians will be thankful for it. I think in the future, they will kind of look back and say, hey, this was this was really cool that this was protected the way it was. And, you know, I think it'll be an achievement that goes right up there with some of the creation of parks like the Everglades and 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 milestones like that. So it's something we can all contribute to. That is absolutely epic to think about that. And I did not think about this in the lens of the creation of a park service. Almost like that, that yeah, kind of idea. Yeah. I think, you know, when they thought of the first parks, it was probably a fringe idea at the time as well. And they probably thought, okay, this is an experiment. We'll see how it goes. And, and now, I mean, you look back on it and you're just like, it's mind blowing that they thought about it, that they had the wisdom to see it. And I think this is this is right there. It's the opportunity is ours. It's like National Parks 2.0, you know, where it's like it's not just that. the zoos like Carlton. I've heard mention like the 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 fenceless zoos. It's it's the interconnectedness mm -hmm. of all those places that are that are already protected and the ones that are yet to be. Wow, that's that's really freaking cool. Yep, it is. It's National Parks 2.0. Man, I just, this is so exciting. I, I'll let you go, but like, I'm just so thankful folks like you are working on this and have, are, are just thinking so far ahead and being so strategic about it and so such quality work. So really, really, I just want to say thank you. That's awesome. Thanks for spreading the word and just for allowing people the space to dig in because a lot of times they just, they they get this, this stuff and it's very... Um, you know, when you think about it in terms of what the animal, like a panther, is doing, it makes total sense. It's totally intuitive, and we all get it. But we need the space to think that way. And, you know, this this kind of work, you know, that you're doing to bring audiences to an idea and to let them think about it, 
um, in a compelling way. That's exactly what we're trying to do with the film. Today, go find somewhere and watch this film. It's going to be even better than you expect, even if you think it's going to be awesome. Disney Plus and Hulu, you can watch Path of the Panther. Buy the book, share it, and find somewhere that Carlton, Ward, and Eric are going to be speaking, because they're speaking all over the place. And join the fight in keeping Florida uncut.